What is up, my friend? Welcome to episode number 62 of the Anthony Tronimics podcast, all about why you should hire a life coach and how life coaching can help you grow your business. On this episode, I'm bringing on a baller personal business and relationship coach named Matt Laughlin. Currently, he's the coach for one of my really good friends, and I've heard some just amazing, stellar things about him. So I thought, like, why not bring him onto the show and ask him every single question I could think of? about why life coaching actually changes lives and changes businesses. So if you've ever thought about hiring a coach before or if you've ever been wondering like, man, would it really serve you? Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to the Anthony John Amex podcast, helping entrepreneurs break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. Prepare to open your mind to the proven tactics and strategies the world's leading intellects have used to avoid a stagnant career and achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. It's time to increase your levels of power with your host, Anthony John Amex. All right, welcome back. I'm really excited about this episode because it's not often that I get to jam with incredible, highly talented life coaches who also understand the game of business. It's a rarity. And today's guest knows both sides of the game extremely well, so I'm super pumped about that. His name is Matt Laughlin. He's a personal business and relationship coach. He's one of the few who are extremely, extremely good and enjoy diving deep with the right people. He's a former therapist, and while most therapists you know, like help you overcome emotional obstacles, it seems like they don't really catalyze breakthroughs and being in action. At least that's, that's my story. And many coaches may enhance performance, but they fail, it seems, to address the reality of human suffering or what actually moves the spirit. Matt likes to draw from both disciplines, coaching and psychotherapy and beyond, and working with him is a generative, creative, and healing process. He doesn't really follow a set program. Instead, his coaching is shaped by who you are, what you hold dear to you, and what you seek to create or overcome. Now, before I bring Matt on, I want to let you know I'm hosting a free online training to help people learn the three ancient secrets to breaking through to a new level of freedom, purpose, and success. This training, it will rock your world, like guaranteed. People have already signed up, and they are chomping at the bit to get access to the free training. Now, you can reserve your spot by going to trainingwithaj.com. Again, that's www.trainingwithaj.com. And of course, when you register, make sure you add it to your calendar so you don't miss it. Now, with that being said, let's bring today's guest onto the podcast. Matt, welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, AJ. Great to be here, man. Thank you. Yeah, dude. I've heard amazing things about you from one of my good friends, Mr. Jonathan Heston. And uh, it's not every day that I get to talk to somebody who has like a depth of knowledge in both what I feel like is the life business and also the business business. So I'm really excited to hear what we get into today. And before we get into like today's topic, I'm curious, how did you go from therapy into coaching? Like, why didn't you just stay in the therapy uh, world rather than coming into the coaching world? Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's a great question. So I did my master's in Boulder, Colorado at a university called Naropa, and I got a master's in what's called contemplative psychotherapy. And uh, it was a three-year program with a huge emphasis on meditation and mindfulness, which drew me to it. And like we did two one-month meditation retreats in the first couple of years. And so, I mean, the real reason I switched was more pragmatic life change. So I was down, I, I graduated, I did my 2000 clinical hours. I got licensed as a counselor in the state of Colorado. 
And I built a private practice. So I did that for about six, seven years. And then um, my wife and I, I grew up in the Northwest and I just never felt like I wanted to set roots in Colorado. I didn't have family down there. I, I love the beauty of it. But the Pacific Northwest is like just inwardly where I want it to be. Awesome. And then, and it's a great question because at the time I was, you know, praying about it, trying to discern, and we felt really called to move to the Northwest. So I picked Coeur d'Alene. I was always fond of it. I grew up in neighboring Spokane, Washington, but Coeur d'Alene is a smaller Lake Mountain town, as you know. And um, so it was kind of a combo. I was dissatisfied with the downside of the limitation of the psychotherapeutic context. So like. And I was always, I had a greater affinity to work with what I would call higher functioning clientele. I have a real heart for people like in the throes of a huge addiction or a super dysfunctional 19 year old, let's say. But um, at the same time, I worked with attorneys, business owners, doctors, you know, that kind of. And so I feel like, yeah, I just didn't feel like I could fully express like what I wanted to express within the confines of just the psychotherapeutic model. And then also just practically at that time, I, I ran that business as a clinician not a business owner so i would see as many people as i could see in a week at my hourly rate but it wasn't really a scalable business and i wanted to be able to buy a home so my wife could stay home with the kids and so that humbled me to just look into like okay i need to at least the model i was doing my psychotherapy practice at the time i wasn't earning enough to pull her out of work and do that so i looked into business opportunities and I found a company that they specialize in niche magazine publications all across the country. It's probably like a $300, $300 million company about N2 company. So I launched a, co a couple local magazines that reached like the top producing real estate agents here in Coeur d'Alene. I have another one. And that really gave me a great training in just sales and business. And quickly, I was promoted to a leadership position in the company where kind of like in real estate with Keller Williams or other companies, they have their internal maps coaches that they, they all, you know, basically in a large corporation, they promote top salespeople that are great coaches. And so I did that for five years and I learned, I love that in terms of coaching other business owners all across the country. But then again, that limited context, like coaching within a company, in the end, you're really driving just sales. You're not, it's a little different than, than the whole dimension of a person. Like I, I was their sales leader coach, not their everything coach, so to speak. And then, uh, so I decided last fall or really last summer to step down from that position and open my own coaching life business and just just blend it all together and i really attract people that are drawn to that like the depth of the psychotherapeutic background together with the more pragmatic performance-based kind of coaching perspective so awesome. um it just kind of unfolded that way you know it wasn't yeah never a master plan awesome <laughs> do yeah. you find that you can get better results without the confines of the therapeutic license or is having the confines of the therapeutic license like actually better? Well, um, I'm not totally sure. I understand the question. Like I, so like let a, me rephrase it again. Yeah, so there's yeah. things you can do as a coach. There's, there's, there's things you yeah. can say and there's places in which you can take someone as a coach that I don't think you can do as a therapist. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, well, there's therapists that like practice as life coaches, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and you could certainly, it's, it's more like the overall arc of the context. Like people typically when they go to therapy, it's you and, and, and people are drawn to this for coaching, but it's a different level. Like 
often people go to therapy when the pain, it's like, it's a difference between, I heard this analogy in graduate school in some retreat, like the difference between having a hair in your, in your hand, your mouth and your eye. Have you ever heard of this? No, I haven't. No. So, so like I would characterize the people who are drawn to coaches, they're really devoted to a potentiality, something they're inspired by, but they're also struggling. So they're, they're both. And, um, when they seek out, a, it's kind of like, um, having a hair in your hand, you could hardly feel it. Right. So for people who are drawn to life business coaches, if the, uh, when you have a hair in your mouth, you can feel it. You kind of stop what you're doing. You're like, I got a hair in my mouth. And if you have one in your eye, you stop everything. You're like, I'm going to get this out of my eye. And I think that reflects the devotion, like how devoted people are to fulfilling their potential in something. And so the coaching client is like a hair in a mouth eye person. They're like, I cannot stand that I cannot shift my business and it's, it's eating me up. I can't stand that I'm not more sweet, loving and forgiving to people day to day. Like because of their spiritual commitment, there's a lot of pain just when they fall short of that. Yeah. And uh, whereas therapy, it's not that you don't get spiritually committed or motivated people. Sure. The majority of people that go to therapy, they're in need of true just healing, man. Like they, you know, massive divorce. Well, you get a bunch of people in there. Um, an active debilitating addiction. So my heart, my heart out of compassion loves that. Like the, there's depths you can go to and there's a certain respect for the power of the therapeutic relationship. I don't see in the, the wild west of coaching, you know, totally. yeah. <laughs> people are just like wild west out there and casual with it all. There's just profound transferences and all sorts of stuff going on under the surface. So yeah, I would, pragmatically for me, I'm really careful with all my clients. Like I have to be like, I, I look, I'm not practicing therapy with you. Right. I, I'm going to draw from that experience, but you know, I'm a coach. Yeah. So, so yeah. here's what, here's how I bring that distinction up. So I went to my first therapist last year after the birth of my daughter, I was like in this pit of apathy. I ended up yeah. being clinically diagnosed with postpartum depression for men, which I didn't even know that was possible but apparently wow, one in yeah. 10 men have postpartum depression and i was yeah. one of those 10 and so i like it was like visualizing myself blowing my head off in the garage i was in a super dark place and so mm -hmm. i was like trying all of the tools that i knew meditation you know yeah. weightlifting, like shifting 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 and i just was like in apathy so i reached out to the midwife she was like hey here's three ladies and i went through research i was like i don't think you can handle me i don't think you can handle me yeah you may have a chance. I'll give you a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went over to this lady and we ended up doing EMDR therapy for eight weeks. Yeah. But what yeah. I found, cause I'm more of the hair in the eye guy. I'm like, can I just pay for you for the whole day? Like, can I just buy you for yeah. two days so we can just get this done? Like, I don't yeah. care what it costs. Just yeah. tell me we can get it done faster. And yeah. she was like, well, it's just part of therapy. Sometimes it takes yeah. long. And I'm like, no, no, I can process very, very quickly. Let's just go. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where I found the distinction of like, oh, this works. Yet there's people who want and have the capacity to go faster. And mm -hmm. the confines of that then mm -hmm. hinders the results in which somebody can create in a quicker amount of time. Because at that time, I was also thinking about going back and getting my license for therapy. But then once I had that experience, I was like, nope, no confines for me. I can't do the confines. Yeah, yeah. There's a definite, um, yeah, I could totally, I couldn't stand the, it's not, it's not so much what's there, it's the absence of what you're talking about. Like, what's there is great, but yeah. it's like, there isn't that, that, that um, 
highly committed, um, kind of that entrepreneurial business mindset that you would bring into the inner experience. I will say in defense of it, something I see absent with coaches is like at another level, at a deeper layer, semi-unconscious levels, like uh, particularly people who explore their dreams or just presume there's totally unconscious aspects of myself that I, I couldn't get to in 48 hours. I'll drop 10 grand. I'll work with you in 48 hours totally and you, just, you aren't getting to it in 48 hours. And like, there's a beauty to, but I, this also unfolds in coaching with a great coach. You, you unfold there and it, it's a function of time. And so you have to take that 48 hours and live eight weeks of it in order to confront something. It won't even yep. serve for eight weeks. So, yep. but yeah, I hear what you mean. Yeah. I, it just wasn't the fullest expression of who I wanted to be in the world, you know, that awesome. container. Awesome. And I remember asking her to like, cause we were done at the eight weeks. And so she's like, what's next? And I was like, I feel like I want to put cement in this well. I never want to go into the pit ever again. And she's like, oh, well, yeah. how do you, how do you think of that? And I'm like, I'm being led in my journal to do psilocybin mushrooms. That sounds crazy. Yeah. I don't even know what that looks like or who to yeah, contact, yeah. but that's where I'm being led to. And she's like, let me know how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, that's it was so funny. There's a, I always tell people, it's like all coaches, like interview five therapists before you, you know, you just to get to see what they're comfortable with. And yeah, yeah. Awesome, cool. man. Well, dude, why do you think somebody should work with a life coach? I feel like it's a buzzword. I feel like people think it's just something that almost wealthy people do or privileged people do, or it's a nice thing to have. Why do you think somebody should work with a life coach? Just anybody or business owner? Like, what's the context? Yeah, I do. anybody, really. Like, if we could put on a big yeah. hat and really yeah. encourage anybody to work with a life coach. I mean, my experience has been, I always have one. It serves yeah. me massively in every single area of life. Yeah. And I feel like if more people would embrace the concept rather than thinking they need, at least here in Texas, and I would say probably in the West in general, we need to pull yeah, ourselves yeah. up from our bootstraps and do it ourselves because, totally. I mean, only yeah. weak people have life coaches, only hippie people have life coaches. Yeah. I think it would benefit every single human being if they'd be open to the potentiality of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, you remind, remind me of something that I read a year or two ago. Um, the... Have you, you probably read him. Have you read uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj? He wrote, well, he didn't write. There's a book called I Am That. It's his dialogues. Have you ever read I haven't that? read that one, no. So he, uh, he's a sage out of like India. And I, I say all that lightly, like, because there's probably 95% of sages are, you know, wackadoodle. But there's some, you know, I would say check him out. Like, <laughs> he's, um, <laughs> but he said something like that struck me when I was reading one of these basically like satsangs, like people from all over the West and Europe would go down to India. He died in like, I think 84. So there's actually verbatim recordings of his dialogues. So I love to read his dialogues. And um, in one of them, he talked about um, like, you can only help people by, but through their desires, like you, I mean, desires, people's personal desires and aims are so strong. That's the segue to like serve them. Yeah. And so I would say in answer to your question, like, if people are serious about fulfilling what's dear to them in life and their aims, like really serious about it, the higher they, the higher they go, they're going to be faced with the humble recognition of their fallibility and their own limitations. I do believe hypothetically you could, you don't need a coach, um, sure. but it's just a really rare soul that has the inner fortitude to like turn their awareness and consciousness on themselves with incredible inner honesty and surface those things. There are people like that, the stuff surfaces. And so, yeah, I mean, the, I think the biggest thing is that um, 
people can only experience a breakthrough experientially and that in the coaching process stirs that whole process up in their awareness and in their life. And if you want access to like a powerful change in your life, it's only by way of some sort of inner experience. And the coaching process does that. It's not that the coach is downloading anything. They may not have any information. I mean, they'll have some ideas and distinctions, but the process itself just it just brings stuff up and it brings up the obstacles and it in the what would you call it the uh, breakdowns the failures of the process they can confront things that they can't locate on their own as readily like you can't smell your own nose it's like i think coaching does give access to the unconscious like i think it really does or semi-unconscious it surfaces things and i just don't know of a better way there's also something mysterious about it like something incredibly healing of being of being with another human being and not only sharing what's most painful and shameful to you, like, and terrifying to you and what's dear to you. We rarely touch either end of that spectrum in any day-to-day -day conversation. I mean, you will, you may with your spouse, but it's a fragment because you got kids and things to do and you're all pragmatics. But how often do you actually converse on either end of that spectrum? Like, so, and it, when you touch those spectrums, things get surfaced. I mean, you could, you get access to clarity and power that it's really hard to do on your own. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's, I would probably answer that question differently next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what so, came to mind. <laughs> so since coaching space right now is like this wild, wild west world, how does somebody actually go find a good, like a legitimate coach? I am going to use the word legitimate because I do believe there's a difference between everybody and their pet monkey being a coach. So how does somebody like sort through all of that nonsense? Well, I, the thing I always said when I was a therapist would be like, I think at the time I probably would still direct people here. Psychology today seems to be the domain where therapists hang their shingle and you read their bios. And then I would always tell people to, um, you know, be patient with yourself and have five free consultations. Typically a therapist would do that. And then I would always add a, there's two, there's two answers that come to mind. That's a great question because you're never going to know for sure if you're with the right coach. There's always an element of a leap of faith. There just is. So I would say for coaching, like, don't just have a conversation with a savvy coach where you're sold into coaching, even out of good intentions. Have like four. Do the four. Most coaches will have some sort of communication that doesn't cost anything to explore the possibility of coaching with them. And then I think the this next part to your question is the only real metric if you found the right man or woman is to examine the inner growth that unfolds in the coming months. I mean, it's a leap of faith before that. I mean, you could look at, everybody's going to look at resumes and like the optics. Do they have, of course, it always depends on like um, if you have real specific strategies like you and uh, Jonathan are really excellent at coaching business owners online, man. So like they, you have very specific depth in certain domains that answers the question for itself if they trust you guys, like because yep. you're so good at what you do. But yeah, broadly, have five or six conversations. If you're going like more like, hey, I just need an all-purpose coach for my life, and then that'll impact me as a business owner. Have like five conversations. So, so where is the tension in this? Because some people in in the online business game, that's the that's the path in which I can speak from. If they're teaching, yeah. if they're teaching coaches or if they're teaching consultants to sell what we would call high ticket things over a thousand yeah. or three thousand dollars, which typically a good coach is going to cost more than that. 
Yeah. And they would be like, only do one, one sales call essentially. And they're either in or they're out. And so here you are recommending them having multiple. Say it again. They would coach prospective clients to only do like, what do you mean? Yeah. They would say, cool. Uh, if you're a coach, they'd be like, they would teach you how to run a sales call, be an hour long deep dive sales call. And at the end of that sales call, there's going to be a decision made and a good person would be able to hold space and capacity and potentiality for a yes or no. They're not attached to the yes or no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But they're holding space for it. And they're really going to encourage the person who reached out to have this the free session to make a decision. I, I do this personally and I'll just tell them blatantly, oh, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. unattached, just make a decision. Yeah. So yeah. what's what's the how does somebody have the tension in that without going into these, let's say they're gonna have five conversations and they're not gonna feel guilty of being like, I'm not trusting myself to make a decision. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, if they're forthright about it from the beginning, like, and I I think people who are high level coaching and business sales, they respect sales, like they get it. And if people come with a heart, they're they're gonna get clear that day. And um, here's what I'd recommend. Like, so I went to speak, I dropped $5,000 to be with Steve Hardison, the ultimate coach, you're probably familiar with him. it was an incredible experience. And, and um, now he runs his model differently. He, he's, there's no like hard close after being with them to coach with them. But I had to actually be mindful of my speech with them. So just being in that session, you know, partly out of just inspiration, I wanted to make a declaration like Steve, I'm going to drop a hundred K. I do not have <laughs> by February 1st and work with you. Cause I get, I get thrilled, like, oh, throw your hat over the fence and conquer the world and make it happen. And then, um, you know, a part of me wants, wants to do it out of just inspiration. A part of me wanted to do that unconsciously to um, be a great client, to get his symbolic approval of me, you know. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of elements that go on. So I would just say, you know, for people, I mean, for the coaches listening to this, I wouldn't change your methodology. Like if I sit with, I know I'm an excellent coach. And if I feel like whoever I'm sitting with, I know if they commit to me, I, they will bear major fruit in their life. I'm going to be like, we need to work together. However, you know, and I'll go through that. And I respect sales, the sales, I had no sales process as a therapist. And I think I could have helped a lot of people that I didn't quote close because I didn't think about it. And they walked away and it had I taken a, a more clear stand for them and invited the opportunity. So I wouldn't say like any coach listening to this to um, get casual about how they close their prospective appointments. But if you're a prospective client shopping coaches, just be straight with them be like, look, I love sales. I love you want to close me. I know it's come from your heart. I'm seeing four people this week. <laughs> and so, and so, and in sales, though, if you're a good coach, you pivot with that. So, uh, yeah. a first appointment, you, if you, if your client's coming in with that, you're going to re you're going to renegotiate the agreement. You're going to be like, well, good. You know, by the end of the day, we're going to get clear on whether or not we need to schedule a second meeting. And then if that's the case, then we will schedule a second meeting. And then on that meeting, you will give me your final answer. That's what occurs when to me, AJ. Yeah, that's perfect. No, I, I would, that's what I would encourage somebody to do. Cause I've had this happen to me. Uh, one of the people that I'm working with currently, they're like, Hey, we, after we get done with this call, we have, um, we're going to talk to two more. I'm like, that's fantastic. And yeah. so we went through the whole thing. And at the end, I was like, I know you have two more people to talk to. So 
when are you talking to those people? Because I want you to commit to give me a yes or no by a date. I don't care what the date is. Yeah. You just tell me the yeah. date that you're willing to commit to. And they told me Wednesday at da 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 da. So then I clarified and verified. And lo and yeah. behold, Wednesday at that time, they said, yes, let's do it. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it was be perfect. Confident. You should could be confident that they shop you because exactly they just say that. I mean, like, oh, I, I would be delighted that you go speak with other people for two hours. You'll please do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, so, yeah. That's awesome. Great. What are some telltale signs that you found uh, that like a good coach really has? Like with everybody going through certifications, some people just yeah. deciding they're a coach. What are like some signs that somebody is a good coach? I would say two things come to my mind. So, when I went to Naropa, one thing I really appreciated about their model, there was this basic, um, I don't know if it's like a dictum or a principle they ascribe to where in the contemplative psychotherapy program, they're like, your capacity as a therapist will in great measure just be a function of your, your capacity to be with your client, no matter what surface is, and not, not to respond out of some program or anxiety or need or like to be with whatever goes down like so that's why they made such an emphasis on meditation like to be uh, you know when you when you start to meditate at if any level i kind of more advocate daily contemplation make your day of meditation but i've done a lot of meditation and there's like a lunatic on you know it's like getting into a phone booth and you know, there's a lunatic and it's your mind and you're talking you know, so a lot of things come up so a coach that really resist the temptation to fill silent spaces at the end at the end of a session that really can be whole and complete within themselves if they don't come with some perfect capture of the session and some key take home out of like anxiety to be a great coach or out of wherever that comes from so i would say on the one hand like yeah so and very related to that is a second part like letting go of any inner attachment to to the outcome or to control or change your client that's a real subtle inner thing and uh i mean that's an i think that's an art and it's a largely a function of somebody's general spiritual maturity in life like to sit with someone and really not have any emotional investment that they go a certain way or change and not to muck around because we all know it as a coaches when we lean too far into this space like i i've experienced it many times where I can tell when my psyche is now overly guiding with an aim in mind and really hoping they go a certain way and I'm trying to influence a decision. And like you almost like you share the karma of that, man. Now, Carl Jung said something once that put me at peace about this. He said, uh, you know, even if you're bad in a session with a therapist and you muck around too much like that, you try to control them, <laughs> right? So he's like just trust that their consciousness like like mud on a wall what's really true for their spirit like it might ripple in their life but hopefully if you if you weren't like devious they'll sort out what's true for them and come back to the next session and resume where so yeah i would say a great coach would be one that can be with whatever arises like i remember my first therapy session the classic therapist joke is like this woman uh, i was doing my 2000 hours at this clinic and she god bless her she had like really hard life, reckless life. And she's just telling me about like, just stuff I hadn't ever heard before, you know, <laughs> like from reckless sexual decisions, STDs, all these things. And just, 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 and my thought was like, oh my God, this woman needs a therapist. And I was just sitting there like, 
like so freaked out. Like I couldn't even be with her. Like, um, cause it was, I was, you know, practicing as a therapist. And so, yeah, someone that can be with whatever arises without a, just like when you meditate, you know, your thoughts and feelings, you're not supposed to do anything with them. You just radiantly let, let them be and maybe, maybe just get bored with them or something. But, sure. and then having being real and this again, like the only way to experience this as a client is to spend a few months with someone. But, and then the other thing would be someone who, um, gives you the freedom to make your own decisions as a client, you know? So awesome. Thank you. Where's yeah. the, I want to unpack that a little bit more. I want to like, I want to explore the paradox on that because some people yeah. could take that too far and they're like, okay, I'm going to hold space. I'm going to attach. And the client just shows up. So where's the tension in guiding somebody into their potentiality and also being unattached and kind of being that observer guide? Like there's almost like a dualistic tension. Yeah. Yeah. It could space. be, yeah, it could be misinterpreted. Like I, I had this, one of my favorite mentors, psychiatrist, he was like, like someone who's suicidal, he, he joked, he was like, like he would get off his chair, grab him by the shirt, pull him forward and be like, go ahead, kill yourself. Like, you know, there's like, that's serious young energy. Yep. And so it's not like you're apathetic or passive or not, you know, I think it's just, here's the difference. It's an inner awareness of what you're attached to. So I can reflect, say you're my client, AJ, I can reflect to you like, like I could take a stand for you and be like, AJ, look, you can do whatever you want to do, man. But if you want to be your, yourself in life, that's the total violation of everything you've ever told me what you stand for. Like, but they detect, it's like a great parent or spouse. Like I think a lot of couples get hung up. If, if there's no inner attachment that I need your approval in that remark, I don't need you to like me in that remark. And I don't even... Like, I don't even need you to agree in that moment. Like, I think in 12-step recoveries, they call it carrying the message, not the person. So it's a super subtle edge. I love that. It's a, such a great question, AJ, because it's like, yeah, so it's a great question. I tell people it's like a dance. Like, to me, good coaches know when to push and pull. It's almost like, so I did, I did fight training. I did boxing training with Guy Mesger, who's a former UFC world champion. He lives here in Dallas. He's a pretty good friend of mine. And in boxing, like a really good boxer, they know when to push forward with the young. And then they also know when to pull back uh, with the yin. And they also know when to just sit in the pocket and surrender to this being yeah. in the pocket and just yeah. be yeah. in there. And I think a good coach has like this intuitive sense where they know yeah. when to lean in and push and then also when to pull back and just let, let them come. Totally. And it's almost yeah. like this, this dance, a really good coach kind of they're master dancers. I don't know how to put it. Any yeah. Other. Well, they and they're also um, they're unattached dancers because sometimes they step too far, but that's okay. Like it totally. all serves. Like it just it's totally okay because if they're if they're honest, loving, and unattached, they have no problem owning a shortcoming, or they don't have to defend that they step too far or lean too far in. And you know, your client will will kind of bat you away, just like your kids will be like, yeah, 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 dad, dad, shut up, dad, shut up. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, ultimately you get to a nugget, but they're going to be like, yeah, uh, you know, they smack your gloves out of their face. Sure. <laughs> no. So, and if they're not good smacking your gloves out of their face, you coach on that, you know? Yeah. So, awesome. Uh, How would you define what life coaching is? I go to places and people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, life and business coach. And they're like, what is that? And I'm like, yeah, you're not going to understand. So let's not even talk about it. <laughs> but how would you define what life coaching yeah, is? Man. <laughs> no, that's, I don't even know. Um, well, I don't have a ready definition, <laughs> but 
when I was a therapist, I hated this is the worst cocktail party thing. Like, what are you doing? I'm a therapist. They're all like people just that's different than coach. Life coach is sort of like, oh, you can't get a real job or, or, or something like that. <laughs> and like therapist is more like, are you effing psychoanalyzing me right now? So then they change their affect with you. But um yeah, life coach, I there's a what is a life coach? Well, I think that's answered just based on the coaching philosophy of the coach, you know? So how I answer that would be very, very different probably than a lot of coaches. I don't think it's really, yeah, I would say that it's not answerable because 80, I would probably maybe 75% of coaches out there, their answer, I would spit out of my mouth, you know? Sure. Like, you know, so. Um, so then, then let's yeah. go down a different avenue and see if we can come to the answer, which is how does life yeah. coaching actually work then? Yeah, same same question in a way. And I, I, I would say, I'm actually working on this with, with Jonathan Heston. The master doing, messenger. Yeah, he's awesome. So we're like, we're working out a training seminar where I cover what to me are four key distinctions, four principles and distinctions I work from as a coach. Like if I had to bring down to generalities, I work with all different people and everything. And um, so I could answer it. It'd be rough, but I could answer it in those those four spaces if you wanted me to. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Okay. So the first distinction is um, that I operate from, I actually think this is really important. This is why you need to have five conversations with five coaches, especially if you're a life coach. Business coach, look, they could be they could be a Buddhist and you could be Jewish, but if they've got great strategy on business, run, run hard with them, you know, it doesn't matter. But Carl Jung said, you know, my job if I'm with a Jewish client or a Buddhist or a Christian, just to make them a better Jewish, Buddhist or Christian. So in coaching, the first distinction I would say is like that which you seek and that what you want is already within you. Like, so that's the number one. That's like the number one premise. Like, that means you don't have to read a bunch to develop it. You don't have to go in search of it elsewhere. You don't have, um, you're not deficient. You actually have more capacity for love, fortitude, courage in you now. You, it's all there. It's all there. So, like, that reframe, well, if it's all there, then what? It kind of begs the question. And I, you know, so I'm playing with analogies for this training to try to illustrate that. And like, one that came to mind is um, now there's no analogy that will answer that for everybody, but is like uh, if you had a child and they stepped into traffic, nine out of 10 parents would not hesitate to lay down their life for their child, like to throw them aside. So in the final analysis, you have enough love encouraging you to just drop your life in an instant. It's just there. It's just there. Your kid's there. You'd get out of the way. You knock them out of the way. You get hit by a car. So how do you access that? How do you locate that within yourself? So the analogy on the, the the idea that that's already within you, I love the classic analogy of the sun and the clouds. Like even though it's cloudy, it doesn't mean the sun's not there. Yeah, um, it's there. It's shining. You just can't experience or see. You can't feel the radiance of the warmth that's within you. That's there. So coaching then is like, well, how do you recognize those clouds? How do you remove them? And um, so that leads to the second distinction, which is we're working out a distinction like. I like to operate as a coach from uh, an awareness of the mind and the heart, like awareness in the heart, not the mind. I, I really see the mind as like a tool and um, almost like if you pictured, like say you have an orb and it's covered by glass, like a glass lens, the mind is the glass lens. And it's, if it's really muddy with like bad habits, competing desires, um, blind spots, that luminous light inside the orb, it, it's opaque. It can't, it can't radiate through that glass. So part of coaching is the awareness that just 
when you put awareness on that muck in the glass, you start, it starts to clear it away. It starts to clear it away. And then what? Then the mind, the, that glass becomes a clear tool. It, it reflects properly. It gives you clarity. When you need to use the mind, you're not run by your mind anymore. You're, you're, you, you rest more in the witness observer. I think that's a huge element of coaching that has to do with my second distinction that coaching gives people access to experiencing who and what they are a little bit closer to the witness observer. And then classically, it goes further. Like even witnessing and observing happens of its own. You wake up, it's just on. Like it's not, that's not even really you, but that gets philosophical and abstract. Like just even the witness observer is you starts to, you know, clear the mud in the lens. And then, um, and then the third distinction is like, okay, well, what about, what about like the whole active passive tension? Like how do you, how do you bring things into being if you're not the mind? Like what's, what about the generative creative aspect of things? So I think that's where like things that I get really excited about, like any ontological approach to coaching gets into this. Um, there's different seminars, landmark, um, others like them uh, I, that I have not done. I've done all the landmark seminars. Um, I think there's one called life something or other, but the uh, getting people into conversations around commitment, declaration, honoring the word, and then laying that out, that future out in, the, in front of them. And then in the coaching process, sorting out all the obstacles that come up as you, as you pursue that, you know, and try to be that in your life. And then the fourth distinction would be, um, this one I haven't like articulated for the seminar, but so this is just on the fly, but it'd be more really things are unfolding of their own. (laughs) So, and you just, if you just presume that's true, it's not your function in, as a person in coaching is not to do anything. It's just to prevent, it's just not to prevent the unfolding or the expression. That's a, that's a subtlety. Like most, um, most coaches I would say operate out of the identification as I am my mind, my thoughts, I just need better thoughts and I'm, I'm the doer. And I think it's a big total contextual difference to operate. Like I'm not the doer. I'm not the doer. So if I'm not doing it, what, what's my function? My function is to not prevent the natural expression of my heart and what I am. So that's how I would answer like, Love that. that's kind of off the cuff philosophical look at how I view the coaching process. It's so good. And on that fourth distinction, uh, Jeremy Eugene Wilson taught me kind of the, the paradox of I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my emotions. I'm not my body. And at the same time, I am my thoughts, I am my body, I am my emotions, but I'm the soul in control who can observe all of these and see which one's empowering me and which one's disempowering me and then choose moment by moment by moment to then create whatever it is that I want to create as a huge. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, and you're responsible for them. Like, uh, even though, yeah, you're, you're, you got to take care of your inner mammal, you know? Totally. It gets, gets cranky if it doesn't sleep right and eat right. And <laughs> so, totally. you know, with, uh, yeah, that's great. What are your thoughts on some of the coaches who take your first distinction a little bit too far? And what I mean by that is they're like, okay, I'm going to come in, I'm going to coach somebody. And they have all the answers with them. So they just keep asking question after question, 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 rather than sometimes coming back into the paradox to like give a direction, like turn right. Like you're struggling oh, yeah. to turn left, turn right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I experienced this recently in a business environment and it, it actually, it pissed me off because I came in, I was like, Hey, we're running this beta experience. 
uh, what are some questions that you guys have asked to get some good feedback from previous weeks? And <laughs> one of the coaches, God bless him, was like, well, the questions are with you. What questions would you ask? I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, right. I wouldn't be yeah. asking. I know they're in me. I can create them, but I just wanted to see what yeah. you guys have tried. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I um if anything, my temperament and I I would your temperament probably is like this too. I would err if anything on giving too many ideas, you know, just I probably fall flat there. Um but yeah, for for the opposite. I think that's like the letter of the law, the spirit of the law. That's like a, I, I view my, like all the time, like, um, I, I think it's just with humility. Cause I think incredible ideas come through my mouth to the client that were not in my brain prior to the session. And totally. they already, they're not even part of a toolbox that I use for every client. It's just like, dude, I don't know. Like a, as a listener to what you're saying, it seems like there's this huge path this you know and they're like and then they're just you could see it in the timbre of their voice there if it if it if you're reflecting truth it'll click inside them and you feel tingles in your chakra your head exactly. you're, like, you're like grateful to be the messenger yes um but again yeah 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 no that's 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 how i'd answer that question it gets yeah i mean if you're if you're parenting <laughs> i don't know it's all it's like make, people mix up levels like, uh, I'm going to tell my damn six year old what he can and can't do a lot. You know, I'm not gonna be like, well, what, what do you think you should do? Cause I got to get in the damn car and get out. The, you know, I'm like, no, <laughs> Airbnb, Airbnb, you know? So, so I, I don't know. You gotta be, that'll come through. You're like, sometimes you're like that with your clients, you know, other times you're, you know, quite quiet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Comes back to that dance. <laughs> it really does come back to that oh, dance. Yeah. No one to push or pull. What have yeah. you found that seems to really move the needle uh, when it comes to business? Helping a client generate more business or yep. improve their business? Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. I was talking to Jonathan about this. I'm building out like a little background thing for the training that I'm developing. Perfect. And in the background, so in my company, I was in a, maybe the top third, top, well, top 10 of, of like 50 leaders for like actually moving the commissions you know, cause you can have conversations with people, but does their income grow or whatever? Right. And so, yeah, what's like a major leverage point generally to help people up level their earning performance. Is that mm -hmm. kind of like, yep. It could even just, be their leadership, their leadership ability too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just rattling. I think I'm mentally going through current clients that are doing that. Like I have a builder who's up leveling it. Um, is it, is it just up increasing their capacity to be like, opening up their their being capacity like if we open up someone's being capacity does it automatically increase their doing capacity it would it would change the quality of their experience of the doing mm -hmm. um, some people out of uh out of i mean some of the most top earning performers the drive is neurotic yeah. and, and i mean so i think it would increase it would it would diminish a sense of efforting and give them more access to effortlessness and um and in many people get them into action without that yin and that battle back and forth of trying real hard getting exhausted trying hard again and that whole zigzag so i would say yeah i would i don't know that i have a i think the coaching process gives people more clarity and it helps them come out of what they are more in their their decisions to act sure. Because love's like, like love is tireless. You know what I mean? Like, 
there's just like, like right now I'm in the habit. I have a four and an almost seven year old, the almost seven year old. It, it stopped to a great deal, but occasionally still wets the bed. And then the four year old. So uh, we put him in bed at like seven 30, but every night I go in there late to pee them both, <laughs> pick them up out of bed. I'm not bothered. I mean, if I'm, if I forget and I fall asleep, my wife like taps me, I'm like, shit, you know what I mean? Like, but like, that doesn't bother me. Like, and there's so many things that out of love, you just have an experience of tirelessness. So I think helping people approach, sanctify their business activities and come out of lovingness and out of a, a commitment to their highest ideal gives them access to a tirelessness. Like it's just not as tiring to act. And there's a more steady, constant action over time. Yeah, exactly. You know? One of the pictures Jonathan and I have been working with is it's like this bicycle of purpose and profits. If, if purpose and profits was a bicycle, like you can picture that. And typically yeah. for most high achieving people, production people, they are, they're riding this bicycle up their chosen mountain. And that mountain, the top of that mountain is different things for different people, different levels of income, different sizes of teams, yeah. selling a business, whatever it is, different things for different people. Yeah. And it's perfect. And it's like, they're trying to ride up the mountain with one pedal, which is like, do, 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 yeah. do, do, do. Yeah. Do. Yeah. It's jerky. Yeah. And it's it's jerky and it's, it's exhausting. And so people go through these phases of building and burning and building and burning and building and burning. And they usually will get to the, to the top because they're pretty gritty people typically. Yeah. But yeah. then they'll get there and they're like, oh, what's the point? When you, some other cultures will approach the, the pedal, uh, the bicycle purpose and profits from one other pedal which is just the being pedal. Like if we looked at the Eastern, they may be like yeah. visualization and affirmations and law of attraction and all of this stuff. And some of them get to the top of the mountain, but it may take them longer than they thought. And there's still a lot of stress even in just using that one single being pedal. But it's mm -hmm. like if we could marry the two and understand the bicycle has two pedals and it's not, I either use being peace and all of the technology and science and spiritual experiences there or the doing, it's both and we can mm. use both of them, this is now where we're starting to generate a lot more momentum and a lot more power with a lot less effort and a lot less force to propel us to the top of the mountain. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. I Definitely the one pedal analogy is, I think most of us can relate to that. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited yeah. about where we're at in history right now because I believe we're kind of at a place where consciousness at large where we kind of used to be like separate. The West had their doing bucket and we we're really great and Christians were amazing and Jewish people were amazing at doing, doing, doing. And then we had other philosophies from the East who were all about being, 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 being. And I feel like consciousness or humanity's consciousness is a place where those two can coexist in a happy place now. And those who are open to allowing those two philosophies, the being and the doing, the East and the West to really overlap where mm -hmm. those overlap is where there's peace, where there's purpose and where there's profits that are like found in joy and freedom. It doesn't mean that there's not contrast. I mean, part of the game of being a human being is we're going to have contrast, but there's a lot more freedom and joy in that contrast. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree that it's kind of an exciting time to look at one's consciousness and the, in the history of humanity just last what 50 years really yeah that's crazy. yeah i mean it's kind of the access we all have to all of that and it's not a it's a wild adventure <laughs> so, it is isn't it yeah why yeah. do you think uh, a lot of people get stuck into the trap of looking externally uh to produce results that are in their hearts rather than starting to go inside themselves well the presumption is that 
it will be painful to look inside themselves. I think maybe that's one. Um, there's a rule in psychotherapy that like in terms of the dance, the boxing dance, to use your analogy, like you don't come at someone with a real hard right hook unless you know their, um, their internal superego is how compassionate they're going to be with themselves when you, when you reflect back something really about them, like a real, like, you know, you're progressing in therapy when you discover something about yourself that you can't eat your next meal. Cause you're like, Oh my God, oh, I've been like, and cause you, there's a lot of regret and pain. So I think one, it's a lot easier and, you know, by nature we project and we get to know ourselves by our projections. And so it's not like it's a bad thing, but we, we project on this person and have thoughts and feelings about them. And if we're at all inward, we're like, why do I think about them that way and stuff? But, but looking within oneself, I think one of the big, the, if there's two dogs to brave, one of them would be um, how savage people can be with themselves. So, and uh, you know, I've, the shift work you guys do, it was interesting that I picked Jonathan's brain a little bit about, you know, I really respected the way he characterized that you guys have a sensitivity to that. Like, you know, you know, the work you do, you know, you're going to surface things and stuff. So that's your, you're being a steward of your responsibility as a coach. But I think, yeah, that, I think that'd be one barrier. People are afraid. And then the other barrier, it's, it's like a leap of faith because it's um, implicitly looking within implies that um, you, you at the moment don't have access or see a thing. So it just doesn't seem worthwhile. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it'll bear fruit. You're just, you're taking those first steps on faith, you know, and that's everyone like, so you're, you're a highly committed person to I don't know you personally, but like my, my impression is you're highly devoted to your, your personal spiritual development in life. Like you're, but like there's, there's caps for you and coming on the horizon that, that are going to require leaps of faith for you to go to, an, to another level of understanding. So it, it never ends. And so for people to either enter the path or carry on it, it requires like a fortitude, a willingness to get uncomfortable. Like, yeah, people who can handle that discomfort, hire a life coach like you have over time. They're just like, look, it's part and parcel of being a human being. <laughs> I'm willing to like, get into the mud because I know it bears fruit and I have faith that it's worth it. So those are the things that the quick answers. Yeah, I'm, I'm like at a phase in life where if I become aware of an area where I, I have an inadequacy or I, or a limitation, I like dive into the fire as fast as humanly possible. And I don't, I don't want to play around. Like I want to go to the deepest, darkest, mm. nastiest pit as fast as humanly mm. possible because I know I have the capacity to propel like up in one of the, the things I read uh, with Power Versus Force with David, Dr. David Hawkins and yeah. the whole emotional scale of consciousness, one of the things that we teach within Inside Shift is like the surrender process is usually the piece that propels somebody out of this, this loop of pressure that most people experience and then yeah. into a place of power. But it's almost like a spring. Like if you push a spring down just a little bit, like if you just allow a little bit of anger or a little bit of guilt, then your capacity to come back to love and service is just a little bit. But if you allow so, yourself to go all the way down, almost like if you could take that scale of consciousness and think of like that as the, the spring from enlightenment to death, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. willing to go all the way to death and that spring is, then when, yeah. you, when you allow it and release it, it goes, and oh. you're like back in massive amounts of love and power. And that's kind of the place that where I, I get to play at personally. Yeah. And it's, 
It's a lot of I fun. Love, I love that distinction that Dr. Hawkins, I heard him say once in like a seminar satsang I was at where he said, uh, you can only go as high as you've once been low. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, the, the capacity to look at the low paradoxically reflects how high you're able to go. And um, I was telling Jonathan this actually recently that I'd heard this from somebody, a local business owner I know, who she's like been 20 years in a Alcoholics Anonymous. And then there's this guy in there who's apparently a very reputable local business owner, very health, beautiful life, but he's he's been sober for 32 years, but he goes to AA meetings every day. And he said, uh, someone asked him why he did that. And he said, I want my last drunk to be as fresh as this cup of coffee sitting in front of me. And I think it really speaks to what you're saying. Like, if you have the capacity to look at the lows and the darkest things about yourself or humanity, and it, it, uh, at so many levels, it gives you access to the high. And it doesn't mean that I like Hawkins' little, the way he phrased that off the fly. It wasn't something he wrote, but just like, <clears throat> you can only go as high as you've once been low. It's not like you have to hang out in the lows or be run exactly. by the lows. Exactly. You just have to be willing to, um, Oh, and then here, this is coming to mind. I was a really powerful image that demonstrates this. Like uh, I watched this documentary on Mother Teresa and uh, it showed one of the sisters of, I think they're sisters of charity, I think it's what it's called. And um, so moving. And it showed this um, woman holding this, um, this sister holding, I don't know what condition the boy had, but he, his arms were really tight and he was frothing at the lips and he was just he was probably like 11 and just really emaciated and just mm. couldn't hold his body together. And he was just in this hugely uh, despairing, distressing state. And she grabbed his, um, uh, his cheeks in her hand and she just held him kind of like gently rocked with him and like looked right at him the whole time. And you watch like he stopped shaking and he, and he, and he got calm and he really, his shoulders relaxed and it gets me moved just talking about it. Like her, it takes such courage and compassion to actually be around that kind of suffering. Yep. Like it takes a noble spirit to work with those kinds of populations every day. It really, it takes that path. So I think that really, that's what came to mind and what you were sharing. Yeah. Like one it, of the illustrations it, we always share at our uprising event and also inside project shift is like, we, we talk about this idea of splintering which is, you know, at our, at our core, at our light, at our, at our center, at our essence, like we're unlimited potential. We're God in flesh, every single human being on the planet with unlimited yeah. capabilities, capacity. Yeah. Yeah. But as we're going through life, an event happens and we kind of, we create a persona and we like splinter away and splinter away and splinter mm -hmm. away and we splinter mm -hmm. away. And those, those things served us. Like they, usually when we, we splinter away from our essence, we do it because it's a way for us to gain security or acceptance at yeah. whatever ages that happens. And that doesn't mean it just happened in childhood. I mean, man, it could happen when you're 21 or 22, or it could happen right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. yeah. But if we can become aware of that, then we can start reintegrating those parts of ourselves. And yeah. some, some of those times it's like, we have locked that part of us in a closet and we're like, Nope, that part doesn't serve me. And we've locked that and we have to go, be willing to open up that closet door and be with that part of ourselves, not to seek to yeah. fix it. Because if we seek to fix it, then we're see we're seeing it as broken. Just like yeah. Mother Teresa in the story, she's not trying to fix the child. She's just seeking to genuinely understand and be with. And in the mm -hmm. understanding and being with, the healing automatically occurs. Mm -hmm. And so parts yeah. of us are the same. But the other picture that we use, it's almost like a prisoner. 
And Jonathan always tells this story of like, there was this, this is a fictitious story, I believe, but imagine mm -hmm. that, you know, there was a World War II veteran who was captured by the Nazis and he's been in a prison camp and he's been there for, I don't know how long, two years, and he's completely emancipated, but our soldiers come in because the war is over and they're like, yo, you're free. And they see this guy who's just like skin and bones and he's laying in the yeah. dark corner in his own piss and poop. And the mm. soldier, rather than saying, come on, get out of the poop. Come on, we're free. He's kind of like Mother Teresa, where he just sets his gun by the door, walks into the pit with the man, lays in the pee and mm. the poop with the guy and just holds the man. Mm. And there's so, and for us, like as human beings, there's parts of ourselves which are that. They mm -hmm. are the prisoner who has been beat down, whether we've done it or other human beings have done it. Typically, oftentimes it's usually we're doing it to ourselves. Yeah, but yeah. We get to go be with that person, just as Mother Teresa was with this boy. And in that being mm -hmm. with that piece of us, we start reintegrating that and like getting into a new place of power. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. It's a powerful analogy. It, um, it reminds me, can I tell you a war story I, I heard that is like yeah, that? Do we have of course. Play? Yeah. Um, no, that's really powerful. I, uh, um, I, a local man, he's now deceased. Uh, a man in his 70s told me about this, about his father. It must have been World War II. But he, um, or maybe it was Vietnam, I, World War II, probably World War II. But he, the man was um, really blown up in his guts and everything. And, and like a triage doctor it, it just, he just required so much care. They had to let him, they couldn't care for him because otherwise 10 other soldiers would die. So they told this soldier, like the only way this man's going to live is if someone doesn't sleep and just is at his side 24 seven, we have no one, but if you want to do it and you have to like bathe his wounds and just um, reapply the gauze and, the, and for eight, nine days straight, no sleep. <laughs> so this soldier did this to this man. And then, uh, you know, they never knew one another went on their ways or whatever. Like, you know, he's probably still kind of half coma when they took him to the States or the ship or whatever. And he, um, so this man who's now deceased was the, the one that was wounded and cared for was walking downtown Coeur d'Alene. And, uh, it used to be when the interstate went through the city. So there were semis in the downtown street and he heard this, like these brakes and this huge semi truck. And, uh, well, I, I got to flip the, the man here locally was the one who put the gauze on the man. So anyway, so he's just walking in and this huge burly trucker guy gets out of the truck, runs up to him and embraces the man. And, and, and he, and he puts his hands on his face. He's like, I'll never forget that face. And the, uh, Mr. Yates, the man who had put the gauze, on, didn't know who he was like, and he was like, who, who are you? He's like, I'll never forget that face. You put, you saved my life. You put God. I stared, he lay there staring at the man's face for days in a daze. And it was burned in his memory. And uh, yeah, like those, uh, those war analogies are so powerful. I love it because it just demonstrates like what we're capable of in terms of, you know, not even sleeping, just to love another man and his need. Exactly. That's powerful, man. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I was yeah. like, that should be like, there should be a book about that or something. But For sure. Yeah. Dude, if you could go back in time and give your younger self some wisdom that would help you collapse time and get results, what would you tell your younger self? Oh, that's the, I mean, that's the classic, like all those failures and mistakes serve to function now. <laughs> so I heard a story about, a, about that, about like a gentleman who a saint asked him, um, Padre Pio, or this man asked Padre Pio, like, 
or Padre Pio, this cat, he's in the Catholic Church of Saint, and this man asked him, or Padre Pio asked him, like, why don't you ask me to pray for you, you know? And he's like, well, Father, I wouldn't, all those awful things I went through brought me closer to God, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them changed. So I, when I heard that, I could definitely feel that in terms of my own mistakes and stuff, mm. outside the ones where I may have harmed another out of my ignorance and stuff. But yeah, my younger self, I have, I would have handled money differently. <laughs> I wouldn't have borrowed money. So I would handle money the way I handle money now with my 45, my gray hairs of wisdom on my chin. I guess the biggest thing would be have the courage to be who, what I am. You know, there's a lot of, um, even, even at the level of where I am today, there's a lot of, it takes a lot of courage just to be who you are in your work and in your relationships without any, uh, not that you're cavalier about it, but without any concern for the approval of others and just like, yeah, I would say, um, not to not, yeah, not act out of, to have the courage to be who I was at the time without apology, you know? Awesome. Yeah. That would be one. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Dude, if uh, somebody takes your advice uh, that they've listened to on this show, what do you know is possible for them? Well, the biggest, I guess the biggest thing, the biggest distinction is they already have what they seek and need within them. So then it's just a function of their earnestness and willingness to uh, turn to that and locate that within themselves now before they need it later, you know, um, to develop that and put their awareness on it. And uh, yeah, so I would say two things like, it's not like everything's possible for them. <laughs> so, but I think what's possible is their peace and that recognition. And then like uh, Carl Jung talks a lot about this midlife, like the level of neurosis and the stages of life, a young person, they'll be depressed and restless and anxious, to the degree to which they don't feel like they can do a thing and accomplish a thing. So if you meet like a 30 year old who's really depressed and anxious, they're probably, they don't have a sense like I can do agency. 35 to 55 and this bears out in my coaching there's a dual process of coming to real peace of um, accepting the errors and decisions we've made in life and the doors they've closed forever and then um, being a steward of all the opportunity that glistens before someone so if someone's in that camp and if they were to apply the distinctions i shared they would access like a real peace and fulfillment about their past you know they're 52 years old they're whole and complete and uh, there's a peace and forgiveness and then a real stewardship of the energy they do have and the possibilities that lay before them. And then just to finish the analogy, Jung talked about late life, kind of the 55 plus Erickson calls it like integrity versus despair. Like it's where people assess how much did they live their life out of love and integrity. And, um, uh, it's not that people in their 60s don't start amazing entrepreneurial businesses, but generally it's a different season of life. And they they may, often they do, and that's wonderful. Um, but a lot of people, it's more of an inner process to coming to a real peace of their life and deep forgiveness if they've erred heavily. So it's the, I love these questions because they're like, it can only be answered in generalities like that. Like it depends on who's sitting in front of me, they, you know. Totally. Awesome, brother. Well, if you guys want to know more about Matt, uh, you guys want to have a conversation with him. He has a website, mlcda.com. That's M as in Mary, lcda.com. You guys can connect with him on Facebook, facebook.com slash Matt with two T's dot Laughlin dot seven five. I know you have a training coming up at some point. I know you don't have a date on it, but if you guys go connect with him on Facebook, you guys can find um, more information about that when it drops. So Matt, dude, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you, homie.
Thank you, AJ. It was awesome. I enjoyed it. Well, there you have it, my friend, Matt Laughlin. I could sit here and talk to Matt for weeks, months, years. Like, I could talk to the guy forever. And I feel like this was such an important conversation to have because a lot of what we covered will totally help you find the right coach who is right for you. And, you know, and I don't feel like the coaching industry is doing a very good job at helping people know how to really hire a bona fide coach. And before we go, I just want to say there's a difference between a coach, a trainer, and a mentor. Like a good coach is going to dive deep with you to help you see the blind spots that you didn't even know were there. And as a result, they can help open you up to a possibility that you can then step into resulting in a quantum leap in every single area of your life. Now, a trainer, on the other hand, is going to teach you a specific skill set that you can just like go out and execute on. And many trainers, they like call themselves a coach. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong. It's just a distinction that I believe needs to be made. It's kind of like in American football. You have the head coach, you have an offensive line coach, a defensive line coach, etc. And so to me, if you're looking for like a coach, uh, what you want is really that head coach. And if you're looking for someone to help you learn a specific skill set so you can like collapse some time, then just know that you're looking for that right offensive line coach, right? You're looking for a specialist who calls themselves a coach, yet they're more of a trainer and they're training you to be the best at that specific thing. So keep that in mind as you're looking for coaches as well. And the last thing I want to talk to you about is a mentor. See, a mentor is someone who's been down the path that you want to go down. They have the results that you desire to have. A mentor is going to give you the exact playbook that they implemented. That way you can show up and then implement their plan. And mentors are great to have as well. I just wanted to talk about these three different types because these days it's kind of all lumped into quote unquote coaching. And I hope now that these distinctions really serve you. That way you can leverage these distinctions when deciding who to hire and what type of coach is really you know, going to serve you. So I thought that would help. Now, the biggest bummer about this specific episode is it's only about an hour long. you know. And I really feel like we got into some big topics. I mean, we didn't really have enough time to to explore some of the things that, um, you know, that all the way because we'd be here for hours if we do that. And as you may know, this podcast is all about helping you break through to a whole new level of freedom, purpose, and success. And I definitely felt like there was a lot more in this episode that I could have talked about to help you with this. So the good news is I'm hosting a free online training all about the three ancient secrets my clients are using to break through to new levels of peace, power, and profits. And during that training, we'll explore the timeless principles, scientific truths, and the spiritual experiences that will help you take a quantum leap in your life and business. And if you want in on this, simply head on over to trainingwithaj.com and grab your spot. I only have like 100 spots available and people are already signing up. So just go to trainingwithaj.com to sign up for that now. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Anthony Johnny Mix podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time, my friend, I'm out. Peace. That's all for this episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. But we have plenty more to help you achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. Head on over to ajamex.com for exclusive resources, information, and tools to break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. We look forward to having you back for the next episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. Bye for now.